Hello, horror movie fans. The March Mad Men thank you for your time. We hope we can make it worth your while. Right now, our podcast is making its way through the first round of a film tournament designed to determine which of the many, many thousands of slasher movies out there most deserves the honor of being crowned the greatest of all time. We've got three matchups on tap for you tonight, but before I get to that, I do want to appreciate one of our longtime listeners who posted a great review on iTunes. By the time you hear this, ZCal0221, at least two months will have passed since he posted it because of the way we produce and release our podcast, but you do have our sincere thanks for the encouraging words. You're exactly the kind of guy or gal that we do this for, and we really do hope that like-minded folks see your review and give us a shot. All right, before we get to the business at hand, Of course, I must introduce my indefatigable co-hosts whose lives are far more complex and challenging than mine. We wanted to do this episode at least a couple of weeks ago, but fate has conspired against us, and these gentlemen have borne the brunt of Lady Luck's abuse. I am always grateful for their presence here, and I'm sure our loyal listeners are as well. Let's say hello to screenwriter Vic Wheat and TV producer Rich Eckersley. Rich, what's what's new, bud? I first of all, I want to point out that I am definitely fatigable. Um, <laughs> I hear you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm fatigable by ten o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing good. I don't know that I have a whole lot to to report over here. I'm working on a new global venture right now. So I am fielding phone calls and, and meetings from Italy and Greece and Japan all over the world. Uh, haven't made contact with Korea yet, but I would love to talk to them about their, their zombie output. Uh, <laughs> if I get the opportunity, uh, feel free to pass along any notes. Um, so uh, that's exciting. It's, a, it's an interesting way to, to see the world without leaving my desk right now, which is exciting. And, and meanwhile, I just have my... My, my phone propped up in the corner so that I can watch the strangers pray at night and nod along as someone talks to me at length in broken English. <laughs> that reminds me of when Vic used to watch movies for our podcast in yeah. like one mile an hour traffic uh, heading home from work every day. And speaking of Vic, Vic, how many bullets did you dodge this week, man? Your life is... It's like the Chinese curse, man. You have an interesting life. John, unfortunately, I did not dodge all those bullets. Many of them I took in the solar plexus, <laughs> uh, metaphorically speaking. I want to say before we get started today, I don't, I don't often prep my, my, my sort of intro. That's usually sort of off the cuff, which I think is probably pretty obvious. But I want to say this. <clears throat> Do you guys realize that with this episode at, the, at its completion, we will be 36 movies into the first round. We're more than halfway there. So suck wow. it, Bon Jovi. <laughs> I know Bon Jovi was convinced we weren't going to make it. <laughs> we were not. We, we were saying, he never got any further than halfway there. Yeah. He's always been that. against us. Yeah. Um, but I do want to say, uh, not just out of uh, this half of the first round, but out of the entire March Men Men series, I think this week has been my least favorite slate of films that we've ever done. <laughs> 
Wow. That's that's good. That that would make me keep listening to the podcast. That's a good yeah. good intro, Vic. Well, it's, it's uh, look after thirty six movies, right? And never mind all the movies that we watched to prep for this that didn't mm-hmm. make the cut. <clears throat> I'm cold prey. <laughs> um, a movie. I, I just I really feel that a movie's got to deliver more than actresses taking off their shirts and bodies being dismembered with various tools. And by the time I got done watching or rewatching this week's movies, I was basically praying for a bland middle-aged white guy, possibly an escaped lunatic or possibly a disgruntled grocery store employee to break into the house and power drill my eyeballs out of my skull. Seriously, I was longing for the days of House Sue and 1408 and The Conjuring. Wow, if you don't like murders and and women in very little clothing, uh, the slasher subgenre is probably not for you. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of variation. I like, like, look, that that's that's what the meta and, and dark horse categories are are there to do is to try to shake right. up the system. Although, although I agree that that has also yielded like a lot of uh, misfires. Like, it's it's a formula that when you try to break it, it also makes you kind of sometimes suck the fun out of what was good about the movies to begin with. It's a real, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't genre. That's true. But I will say, I'm really looking forward, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm really looking forward to next week's slate. So this is this may be the nadir, but we're on the <laughs> way back up as far as, as far as my personal taste is concerned. Let's uh, let the hate flow, gentlemen. Let's, uh, let's have a good show. I, I think I might be a little more supportive of some of these movies than you are. So that could... Oh, uh, fucking- course you are john yeah some some sparks might fly folks some sparks might fly but uh before we get to that let's talk about uh, our beverages if we've already opened them i know i have i have a uh, red hook big ballard imperial ipa here um red hook of course from uh, one of my various homes seattle and i like that they uh they say yasher yabecha on the on the can, which I don't know what that has to do with Seattle, but in any event, it's about an eight point five. So this is I'm I'm starting to fish in your waters, gentlemen. But uh, at least I do this at the beginning of the night and not the end, and uh, it's pretty good. I'm enjoying it. You know, it's a pretty basic IPA. It's not like super crazy. You know, loaded with. Uh, all the bells and whistles that IPAs do these days. I guess it's just a you know a West Coast IPA. It's not particularly hazy or anything. But uh, what do you guys have going on? Well, John, you are you are not in my waters yet. You you are still in the shallow end of the pool, I'm afraid, <laughs> because I am drinking a Golden Drock Imperial Stout, which uh, is the last of the the wonderful six pack of Belgian beers that you sent me. It is delicious. I'm really enjoying it. It's 12% alcohol. I could be <laughs> unconscious uh, before we get midway through the show. Uh, that might help me with the voting. So great. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. Rich, uh, I, I'm going to take a guess. White wine? <laughs> uh, uh, no, actually, my, my, my cup runs like dry over here. What? I was, ter- I was, I was, no, well, not completely. Not, mm. Don't worry. It's, we're not, we're not animals. Um, <laughs> But I was horrified today to realize that, like, I was pretty much out of beer and, like, even, like, the liquor cabinet, like, the bourbon sounding pretty good, but uh, it's not available to me. So I do still have a, a couple of uh, my last Firestone Walker pack around, so I have a Luponic Distortion 
IPA, yeah. uh, probably available at your local grocery store, but tasty nonetheless. You couldn't hear that pop, but but there you go. I, I opened it. I opened it just for you, listener. Don't worry. <laughs> there's still there's still a pizza pork chronic in the fridge. Maybe we'll make a return later in the episode. I'm sure we'll have some uh, cans opening along the way uh, to wet your taste buds, listeners who uh, imbibe and enjoy. But let's enjoy some horror movie talk. I think this one, uh, this matchup, yeah, I, I guess it's going to be unpredictable to me because we haven't talked about what we think about these movies. So I'm, I'm ready for anything but our first no-holds-barred deathmatch of the evening is in the Dark Horse category. And as Rich was alluding to earlier, the Dark Horse category are movies that are unique in some way. They're not just strictly formulaic by the numbers, slasher films. They're, they're doing something that is, is, is shocking, possibly transgressive, possibly more artful who knows but they're not like the the first slasher movies that everyone thinks of um when they you know uh immediately think of jason freddy michael myers chucky etc and so we've got some some weirder films in in this category in this regional if you're looking at this as a ncaa tournament kind of situation Let's talk about these films. Deep Red is a number two seed. So it's highly regarded by at least me because I did the basic seeding, but I was using Vic and Rich's uh, thoughts as much as I could. And it's going up against Intruder, which is coming in at the 15 spot. And yes, this is the movie that replaced Cold Prey, which we couldn't immediately get our hands on. So it's a fill-in. It's certainly, that means it's uh, lightly regarded, but uh, who knows? Let's see what happens. I'm going to let Vic introduce Deep Red. I can't wait to hear this because he does not like Italian horror movies. So Vic, take it away. All right, here we go. Deep Red from 1975, directed by the great and venerated Dario Argento. This movie has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, which is pretty impressive. The log line, which I which I actually pilfered from IMDb, I usually try to come up with something a little more creative, but this one needed uh, someone someone more concise than myself. So the log line goes: A jazz pianist and a wisecracking journalist are pulled into a complex web of mystery after the former witnesses the brutal murder of a psychic. With the possible exception of Suspiria, this is considered Dario Argento's masterpiece. I think Hemmings gives a credible performance. I think the Rome locations are gorgeous. The gory murders are everything you'd expect from peak Argento. Uh, his his swirling, dynamic camera both explores the killer's POV, but it also helps drive the story. And, uh, I mean, you really can't say anything other than this is one of the, the pinnacles of uh, Italian giallo filmmaking. And I didn't really care for it. Even as focused as the narrative is for this subgenre, there are still contrivances that pull me out of the film. We introduce a, a genuine psychic, but then murder her and never come back to the existence of an actual psychic. And that's just one of them. The only music I liked was when Marcus was practice, practicing his jazz. The camera moves are just as self-conscious as the ones that drove me crazy in what lies beneath, but not as well executed. The mystery itself is pretty dull, and the resolution stretches credulity. I don't even like the color of the blood, which ruins the gore effects for me. 
everything about this movie screams artifice. If you don't like Deep Red, you don't like Giallo films. And I don't like Deep Red. John, you're shaking your head at me. Scathing. Scathing. All right. Well, before we get to Rich, I think it's appropriate that I jump in because I am the defender of Italian horror on this podcast. Sometimes I, I really miss Mike Kuchek on the show because he was also a fan. You guys have made your antipathy of Italian horror quite clear, and I do get it. A lot of the things that we expect from objectively good filmmaking are often in short supply with these flicks. But that's because neither the filmmakers or their audience really cared. And what they did care about, they pay in full on that. They meet those expectations. That said, some of them are more classy than others. And both Rich and Vic seem to dig Dario Argento's opera to a degree, which was stylish and artful in its cinematic techniques. I think Deep Red, a.k.a. Profondo Rosso, fits that category. I have always loved this movie. And I think it has a quirky art film quality that most slashers or even Dario Argento films don't. It kind of transcends the subgenre. Not really just the slasher genre, but I think even possibly horror too. In, in the sense that it might be aping Blow Up, the earlier Italian Oscar nominee directed by Michelangelo Antonioni, that the, a film that made this film star, David Hemmings, that's, that was his breakout film. And I think this movie harkens back to European auteur films of the 60s and early 70s in general. But in my opinion, it's an amalgamation of auteur film and genre film that t- totally works. I, I really disagree with Vic pretty vehemently here. In fact, I think it's fair to say that this is the most epic, most immersive movie in our tournament. It's the movie that I want to get high and just live in for hours because I think it's such an experience to inhabit and mull over the details and the music. Personally, it works for me for the most part. And just get lost within it in the way that great movies invite you to do. And several of our Haunted House movies absolutely did. I don't think there's a lot of those in this tournament field. And I can honestly say if somehow Deep Red were not to advance tonight... I think it would be devastating to me because I am so looking forward to delving deeper into it. And, and I'm, I'm sad, honestly. I'm, I'm emotionally affected by Vic's complete disconnect from it. But putting that aside for a moment, not that I'm shocked, but from the soundtrack to the kills to the cinematography to the set design to literally everything, this movie, it feels like a minor masterpiece to me even if my 14-year-old brain will always prefer the visceral horrors and sensory overload of Suspiria. That part of me is still running the show sometimes, and I I think Suspiria is definitely closer to my heart. And I think it's more a more memorable film, love or hate, either of the films. But just objectively, as filmmaking and storytelling, I think this might be a better movie, and I do hold it in high regard. John, the good news is it's up against Intruder. (laughs) (laughs) Careful seating on my part. (laughs) Or just lucky. (laughs) All right, uh, Rich, I'm dying to know, man. Did did you like this better or worse than uh, our opera? I mean, I'll keep my comments brief because you guys have a lot to say. Uh, 
I will say that I didn't take away that much in terms of like the the subtext of my enjoyment. I definitely didn't consider this to be a minor masterpiece the way that you did, but I also didn't find it to be a a flaming piece of shit the way that Vic did either. You know, I, I came somewhere in between. I think I have a lot of questions. Like you bring up opera, and that's that's great because as I pointed out before, I haven't really watched a lot of Italian horror, even though I've heard a lot about it. So now I have two samples to judge by. And I'm just I'm confused by a lot of things, largely on the apparently loose nature of Italian police work where anyone can walk into a crime scene and start riffing on maybe who did the crime on how theatrical everyone acts. And maybe it's because everything in Italy apparently happens in an opera house when it's not happening in an apartment complex. There's just a lot about the the similarities in the stories of like I'm just curious about how representative this this is of the of the form but like all that aside like none of that's really a complaint so much as just a consistency you know this thing the the fact that it, that it ping pongs so much between uh stylistic touches from like the dynamic camera work that vic point out which i really do actually enjoy myself like i love the way that the, the camera sort of is flying at the subject sometimes as you you enter like what would other be like fairly like benign scenes but like it does really sort of put you in the moment of what could otherwise be sort of like uninteresting uh dialogue and like i can't tell that it's always motivated i feel like i'd have to watch it more to to really d- discern that you know and, and then it veers to like this sort of like slapstick uh howard hawks like style vibe from the lead couple that seem to be evoking something like bringing a baby with their like wacky antics as they try to, to partner up to, to solve this thing. And then you get these kind of Hitchcockian, I think that's what you were referring to with the, uh, what lies beneath perhaps it's like the, this, the, the use of like the steam on like the bathroom wall, which becomes this like kind of prolonged set piece that ultimately isn't that clever, at least not in the, the language of today's, um, films. You know, I found the ending pretty anticlimactic, climactic, but I'll also say it was pretty memorable the way that the that ultimately the the suspect goes in this film. And I'll say that the, uh, the music by Goblin was a hell of a lot better than the heavy metal than you found in Opera. You know, I think it's interesting. Like I know that this there was it started out with a composed score, and at some point he was trying to get Pink Floyd. Uh, to score this movie, which I think was it would have been an even more interesting choice. But like, it didn't bother me. Like, it had a pulsing sort of like you know proto synth score um, that w- I think would come to define like later movies, especially in the the Italian realm. And so uh, that didn't bother me. I, I actually I liked the the score for for what it was. So I don't know. I'd say I'm a little ambivalent on this this movie. Uh, didn't grab me by the throat, but it didn't throw me to the floor either. I love the idea that their list of composers went Pink Floyd and then Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> well, David Gilmore said no. I guess it's, oh, look, it's my band. <laughs> I've done a lot of writing to Goblin, and there's definitely a couple of tracks on this on this film that work for me. I'll just put it that way. Not all of them do, of course. Some that prog rock feels really dated and laborious and kind of clunky, but I, I do really, I think the, the main, the most famous track is pretty awesome. I'll just put it that way. And I'm looking I, forward to putting it on the pod somewhere. 
John, I, I initially thought you were like you meant like I did a lot of writing to Goblin, like you were writing fan letters. That, that were like that's fear. also yeah, that was oh. also what I got from that. I yeah. was totally oh. imagining John like I've written Goblin a lot. <laughs> fan There's mail, a cease and desist order. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Goblin, you rock. P.S. <laughs> Do you know Pink Floyd? I will admit I saw them in uh, concert. Mike and I, Kuchek and I, went to see them um, in Hollywood like at the Egyptian or something. Uh, so I, I have seen them perform whoever's left live at, 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 at a certain point uh, a few years ago. So I am a fan, but no, I did not write anything uh, directly to them. I meant I wrote a lot of screenplays listening to their music. All right. Well, I am, I'm somewhat heartened by <laughs> Rich's uh, at least tepid response. But now let me talk about Intruder, which is a movie that I, I I probably like better than either of you, but I still want you to vote for Deep Red. All right, putting all that aside, <laughs> putting all that aside, Intruder is directed by Scott Spiegel. It was released in 1989. The tagline on this one is, he's just crazy about this store. <laughs> Pretty good. That's one of the worst taglines. We've had a lot of clever taglines so far in these 36 movies, but uh, yeah, uh, okay. Another late-cycle slasher film released long after the peak of the craze. Intruder had a budget of $130,000. I can't find any evidence of a theatrical release. I guess that means it went straight to video, though it was released on VHS by Paramount. There's a truly god-awful cover on IMDb that suggests this was an Empire Pictures release, and Charles' band of full moon fame, uh, originally Empire, is listed as an uncredited executive producer. So there's some ties there. The movie was filmed in Bell, California, which happens to be locally infamous for a government fraud scandal in the early 2000s that I remember. Anyway, Paramount understandably pumped the appearance in the film of Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, and Ted Raimi, but their roles are small, and the actual lead actors remain little known to this day. Uh, Burr Steers is one of them, and he became a writer and director, most notably of the highly underrated Kieran Culkin joint, Igby Goes Down. But from the jump, the advertising materials gave away the identity of the killer, which is unfortunate. Because this film is definitely a whodunit of sorts with a lot of misdirection to make the twist land. Apparently there were cuts of this movie without much of K&B's gore effects, which are clearly a selling point for fans of the slasher subgenre. Fortunately, the version that seems to be available today on streaming platforms doesn't seem to lack in that department. And if it did, I think the movie would not be here, certainly, in our tournament, as the kills by Greg Nicotero and company are the second most striking element after the movie's camera work. If one of your takeaways from the first two Evil Dead movies was, man, they are creative with their compositions and camera moves, this flick definitely picks up where they left off. It's like Scott Spiegel said, if there's one thing that will not be boring about this movie, it will be the shots we get. That's the second reason it's replacing Vic's nominee, uh, Cold Prey, uh, other than the you know fact that I couldn't find it <laughs> readily available. But uh, not a lot is done uh, at a high level in Intruder, but what does stand out 
are those K and B effects and the inventive framings in the cinematography, which are, yes, often more goofy and amusing than scary, but in my opinion, they definitely do bring entertainment value to the table, and uh, that was good enough for me in this situation. So, Intruder. Vic, tell me how much you loathe Intruder. Loathe. John loathed it. What stood out to me in this uh, was that there was so much food. Like, it takes place in a grocery store, so in a sense, that makes sense. But everyone is eating all the time. Like, just (laughs) everyone constantly. They're at the cashiers. The cashiers are eating things. Ted Raimi is cutting up meat and snacking on other things. This also features, uh, and, I, and I, I don't think this is really a spoiler, the only final girl who was ever saved by wheat germ. <laughs> that is a spoiler, Vic. Uh, yeah. Across the line. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and to me, the, the scariest image they were, they're really able to conjure on this is the blood dripping on something. A ladder, a lamp, etc. There's a lot of weapons raised in the air. Which I think is is something I'm I'm becoming more uh, aware of as a trope of the genre, and one of the guys reminded me of Owen Wilson, but I did not take the time to look up his name. Did, I'm sorry. Did you say something about a, a ladder is one of the tropes of the genre? No, the blood blood's dripping onto things. Okay. That, like the, the in the in the absence of and don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of gore in this, and and I will give them credit for executing it in a in a mostly realistic fashion but uh, i don't know by this point in this process i was just not impressed by that uh it just it just takes more i will say it has kind of an interesting ending that called to mind for me the ending for get out that was ultimately passed on um it does not have i think obviously the the racial or social undertones in that but it does have a a a I don't know, something interesting. That was, if you're looking for, for something to sort of highlight in this, and yeah, some of the camera work is good, but I, the, the performances, the, the twists and turns, I really I identified a red herring immediately, which then left me with a, a game of Clue to just figure out who wasn't in the room. Uh, so there was, there was not much to be taken from the script for me. So no, I was, I was largely underwhelmed by this. I'm glad you called out the the poster. It it does set the tone. It looks a little like a rejected Iron Maiden cover, and it does give away <laughs> the identity of the of the killer. So at least spoilers aren't much of a concern in this film. But let's uh, I mean, let's was, respect that anyway. Of course, <laughs> it's it's a it's it was pretty clear to me early on that like this was kind of the epitome of like a low budget like the late night HBO fare from the from the era, but you know, I, I, I was quickly sent to the, the old Google machine, uh, to investigate Scott Spiegel and like, and I wasn't surprised at all to find out that he was part of the famed Los Angeles home where, uh, where Sam Raimi and Joel and Ethan Cohen, Holly Hunter, Francis McDormand and Kathy Bates all, all shared rooms together. Yep. Um, you can definitely feel the spirit of that, that group here. And, you know, like I, I'd say that like the, the camera work, like uh, the camera if you used the, the term impressive, like I wouldn't call it impressive as much as it was clever in a way that like, and for some reason, I feel like this is the third time they've referenced blood simple this season, but 
but somehow it just keeps finding its way back in here. Like it has that, like, yeah, we're shooting it this way just because we can. It's like this film school sort of zeal where it's like, yeah, we're going to shoot this phone call through the face of a rotary phone. Like what? It, it makes no logic. But then again, you have like story motivated moves where I can't remember the, the name of the, the lead girl is telling the story of her boyfriend having gone to prison. As she starts talking about prison, the pan dollies left so that the cage of a merchandise rack covers her face so that she appears as though she's in the cage. Like there's just a like we have to motivate the visuals in some way with just like the best idea we have, even if it's done in this sort of like clunky, like duct tape and glue kind of way. And, you know, at the end of the day, that gives this movie character the character that that it needs to be here, because if you took that character away, this movie is not really offering anything else. You know, there's like the the little touches like I actually think that the the, the final girl run through is some pretty pure like haunted house glee and the icing on the cake for me is when she ends up down an elevator shaft next to a bisected body that has a half off sales sign (laughs) attached to it um so it's like the 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 little touches in this movie are the thing that made it in in any way uh endearing um i do need to shout out I, i can't remember if you mentioned this in your initial salvo john but but we have to ring the bell because ted ramey uh, is in this movie marking his his x number appearance in the the this season you know but then like the the effects are are okay when they show up but then they also make like zero sense like there there's the the guy that is eating olives and then it turns out there's an eyeball in the olives which like it doesn't even add up. Like it's just, it is like, it's not a good haunted house. This is a low rent, like spook house. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't bring a, a whole lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of class, but it does bring a little bit of, of clever. I also say like the, the score, which has these sort of like blandly classical blaring horns and string sections is way less like menacing and pulsing than something like Blood Rage, which seems to be like unconsciously uh, channeling this sort of like manic comic horror vibe better than this film does. And I kind of thought that the ending sucked. Like, I I wish we could get into it in more uh, detail, but I didn't really find anything especially interesting about it. And the the fact that Bruce Campbell's on the poster is really just insult to injury with the degree to which he is wasted in his appearance in, in this movie. I didn't hate this movie. I, I wouldn't say I, I loathed it, but I definitely was not left with the inspiration to watch it again. I, I just want to be clear. My comment on the ending was referring to the last 30 seconds of it, not the the third act reveal, which I agree was poorly executed, let's say. <laughs> right. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. It was, In, insofar as it was on the cover of the VHS box. <laughs> uh, but also, but even even with that, it was still, like, even knowing it, it was still it was still bad. I, I, I also want to shout out, just as, as long as we're kind of in the, the trivia section of this film, because I do think it's interesting that this was also a, this was produced by uh, Lawrence Bender. Yes. Um, who would go on to pair with Tarantino for Reservoir Dogs, and I believe... Many Pulp other Fiction. films, and, and yeah. also, right. and that's right. Yeah, Pulp, 
Pulp Fiction as well. And 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 Spiegel himself went on to go work with uh, mm-hmm. God help us, uh, Eli Roth, um, and actually produced uh, the first Hostel film. That's about right. Yeah, that Spiegel has had a, a good career, and uh, our mutual friend Stevie J has hung out with him and says he's. A really cool guy. He still lives in Hollywood, and um, you know he's a great movie lover. And I, I think that the camera work and the kills are the reason this movie is in the tournament. I think we have all kinds of ingenious, if silly, camera setups in the movie that make otherwise boring scenes visually interesting. I think they have a lot mm-hmm. of fun with it. It's fun to watch too. Mm-hmm. We get the POV of a turning doorknob. The camera moves with the doorknob slowly turning and then like quickly straightens back up when the person releases the doorknob. That's just fun. You know, I, I'm sorry. I Maybe I'm just a film nerd, but I, I enjoy that kind of thing. And the cinematography, as I think I said before, really makes things more scary or disturbing in what I think is a fundamentally silly film. I think it definitely ups the entertainment value. But the other virtue is the quality of kills, both in terms of their conception and their execution. No pun intended. The letter spike kill in the supermarket office is a quality kill. We've got serious eye trauma. Vic mentioned blood dripping on the bulb of a fallen lamp to throw a growing red shadow on the ceiling. The victim's frenzied fingers on the keys of an adding machine, making page after page of receipts spew out. For me, watching slasher movies, that qualifies as good stuff. We get someone being hung on a meat hook through their jaw, which is something you think you would see in a Texas Chainsaw movie, but rarely do. And this flick's got it. And it's a good effect. It's well done. The meat slicer kill is wicked as well. It's very well done. There's just all kinds of gore in this movie. Just about every part of the body that could be separated from the rest is. These victims are mutilated like the girl in Evil Dead 1. We've got full bodily dismemberment. And you want to talk about tableaus? The killer's constantly staging the bodies or parts of bodies in ways that are, if not truly disturbing, they're not entirely a joke either. You know, with the eyeball and the jar, yeah, all right, that's a, that's a reach. But it's just, they really work hard on that. And that kind of leads me to the goofy humor with the little sight gags, like the box of detergent falling off the shelf over and over again, jokey signs and labels throughout the movie, the bub character who's played by Burr Steers that I mentioned is pretty amusing. Yeah, they, they, they cheat the whodunit aspects of the movie. Nothing tracks at all with the two characters who may or may not be the killer. But I, I think it's, you know, looking grading on a curve with the whole vast swath of slasher movies. I think this is a notably entertaining ride. And it does fit into some slasher traditions. Not all of them are are great, but I did want to note that the final girl doesn't know she's in a horror movie until the last 20 or 30 minutes of the movie. Uh, I say that that's something we should keep an eye on throughout this process because a lot of them uh, kind of do that. I think Friday the 13th Part 1, which is not in our tournament, uh, but like the that that's just one of the weird things that most films the protagonist is not removed from the going, the primary goings on of the plot until plot point two uh, or the midpoint. 
And in slasher movies, that's often the case, which I think is kind of funny. So that's all I have to say. I, I also just want to give a, a, a quick shout out to, to Sam Raimi's uh, acting performance in this film, which I think that in the context of this movie is actually like not bad. Cause like he, he, the, he's this uh, sort of swarmy, uh, you know, kind of like would be killer, uh, a prison escapee type. Um, and actually like, I think he, wait, that's not, as, as, that's not Sam Raimi, dude. That wasn't Sam Raimi playing that role. No, Sam Raimi is like the guy that gets the hook through his jaw. <laughs> I thought that was. Ted did, did you think that top. Sam? No, Ted Raimi is also in it. Ted Raimi was the guy listening to the terrible music in his headphones all the time. <laughs> I totally thought. I totally thought Sam Raimi was like the greaser dude. That like she was the was like the boyfriend the boyfriend. Wow, you thought Sam Raimi was a good-looking guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, I didn't know why he didn't get more acting work. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. No, I forget who that guy was, but he yeah, he was very good-looking. Um, no, Sam Sam Raimi is yeah, just one of the the employees at the supermarket. <laughs> oh, that's a real disappointment. Well, you can just cut all that out. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, any final thoughts on these two films before we put it to a vote? Here's what I'm going to say. At the end of the day, this is a debate between two films that were both style over substance in terms of uh, what made them interesting. And while I would not say that I loved either of those, either of these films, I will say that. Uh, Deep Red seems like it's offering a little more in the way of substance while they're both sort of equally offering their own unique take on style. And so for that reason, I'm going to give my vote to Deep Red. Well, I'm glad someone still has some good common sense around here. <laughs> Vic, how do you vote? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hold my nose and huh. vote for Deep Red. Although like, like John, I, I may, I may, as protest not watch it again before we do the next uh, the next review of it we'll see wow. please do oh my god that uh that breaks my heart like what if i were to say get high before you watch it maybe so that's i should point out i know everything's supposed to be evergreen I did indicate this was the, the worst slate of films, and it did fall in the middle of dry January. I won't say what year because who knows. Yes. But um, yeah, so maybe that's what's maybe that's what's impacting my uh, my my opinion of these movies. But yes, just fine. don't say that it's two two twenty two right now. <laughs> See, I did it to myself. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> no, all I ask is before you vote that movie out of the tournament, for the love of God, as enthusiasts Not. of cannibal, cannab, cannibal, ooh, that's a Freudian slip, <laughs> of cannabis, <laughs> please, please try this movie high. That's all I ask. I'll, that, I'll, I will indulge you on that for the next Thank round. you. Thank Fair you. Fair enough. Just do an edible. Deal. If you still hate it after an edible, I will I will wave goodbye as it leaves. I really will. All right. Okay. So I obviously 
third the vote. I am definitely more interested in Deep Red than Intruder, but I think, you know, as a happy accident, Intruder made its way into our tournament, and I think if you're looking for a slasher movie, listeners, and you just want to watch something a little different, I think it, it, it it's exactly old-school slasher movies, but with enough, like, weird little touches to be to be fun and i've watched so many of those fucking things in preparation for our tournament that did not did not have what this movie has between the gore and the kills so and the gore and the camera work so that's all i have to say but goodbye intruder and we're on to the next one and uh let's reload our beverages gentlemen and get back to it and get back to it we will, but as usual, I'm going to split this episode up after the first matchup. Come on back next time for Maniac, the 1981 original and source of our opening theme tonight, being pitted against Slumber Party Massacre, as well as Hellfest facing off with Freaky. I'm just crazy about this show! Freaky!